This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday's Sports on the Sports History Network. Today's guest is Tim Queso. Tim has almost 50 years of weight training and competitive weightlifting experience. He has represented the Northeast region in an international Olympic lifting competition. Tim has also done a lot of coaching. He was a weightlifting coach for a New Jersey high school and for various CrossFit gyms throughout the Philadelphia area. Tim was one of the first people to help me when I first started Olympic weightlifting, and he was extremely tough on me, which I didn't particularly like at the time. But years later, I realized he was tough on me because he wanted me to succeed. We lost touch for many years, but we reconnected about seven years ago through social media. And so today we have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Oh, you're welcome. So... Uh, the first question, I, I've interviewed three other weightlifters, and the first question is always the same. I'm interested to know, and our listeners are interested to know, what got you interested in weightlifting in the first place? Well, when I was uh, 11 years old, I started lifting for football. I just joined uh, the, the uh, local football team, and uh, – and thought weightlifting would be a good way to prepare myself. So I just started training, doing some very basic stuff. Yep, that story is very similar. Yep. Uh, also with myself and other weightlifters I've spoken to, they first went into football. But a lot of uh, a lot of the weightlifters I spoke to, they were they were lacking size, uh, so they decided to go into weightlifting. I was going to say, you know, and I, and I never grew up and never gave it up. So, uh, you know, I'm going to, as I said, I'm going to be 65 in a week or so, and I'm still at it. Excellent. And uh, what was your very first competition? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Uh, my first competition was in uh, a suburb of Pittsburgh. Uh, it was in a bar. Um <laughs> And uh, uh, the bar was uh, had, uh, uh, the the platform was on the dance platform. The warm up room was downstairs, and we had some big time lifters there: Brian Derwin, Bob Giordano, Terry Manton. All these guys were doing three, four hundred, um, three hundred in the snatch, four hundred in the clean and jerk. And I remember the floor had to had these big jacks that held it up um, because of the because of dropping the. Because of because Brian and those guys were dropping the weights right. and they were you know and they were causing quite a racket and they were I guess the owners were worried that the floor would collapse uh, so that was my first uh, my first experience uh, and it was a lot of fun man I mean I, I went um, uh, I totaled which I remember one of the guys told me that that was my objective uh, to total that day and I did. Um, 198 in the snatch and 264 in the clean and jerk. So and what, it was uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> what weight class was that? I was 198. Uh, so 
and I weighed in, you know, one ninety ish, something like right. that. Uh, I'll never forget that meet. That was uh, that was pretty. That was a lot of fun. Yes, there was uh, quite a few experiences I had like that. Remember, one time, I, uh, one of the competitions was in a a uh, elementary school classroom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if I remember right, Mark, your first meet was my last meet, wasn't it? That was wasn't Vineland, it Vineland? Vineland, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my last meet. Yep. Right. That that was a real interesting experience too. Oh that, yeah, yeah. The funniest thing about that meet was. Uh, all the other, I don't know. There was maybe five or six of us from the from the team that were yep. lifting, and all the yep. guys were in the the second session, the heavier uh, weight class. I was right. uh, only in the seventy five kilo class. Yeah, that session was in the morning, and we didn't want to have to go to both sessions. So you guys <laughs> told me just gain gain one. All you got to do is gain a pound. So I <laughs> ate a lot that week, and I thought well. I would make way. <laughs> well, we were, I think you were light the morning of that meet. I and, uh, yeah. Me, me and the guys were running around the gyms asking people for food <laughs> so, we, so we could give it to you. To see. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I was shoving bagels down my throat. And uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know if I was well, going to be able to lift, but... Uh, that was, that was a fun experience. So it actually re reminds me, uh, of, um, the master nationals. I competed, uh, just this past March and, um, you know, my, as you get older, I'm sure you realize your, your flexibility, uh, is, is somewhat lacking yeah. and your joints don't move as much as you, as much as you'd like uh, them to. So I had to stop all upper body training about six weeks before um, so I can get my elbows around for the clean and, and uh, get, get put myself in the right position for the snatch and so on. But what happened was I lost weight. So the morning of the competition, uh, I, was, I was scheduled to lift the 102 kilo class, okay? And I remember um, uh, the weigh-in and I was, I was borderline. And I, I got on the scale, and all I the the next weight class down was ninety six. Right. So I stepped on the scale, and all I saw was the numbers hitting ninety five, ninety five, and ninety five point nine. And then I remembered a trick that we taught. I don't know if you remember uh, John John Bryden. Uh, we, we I I taught him this trick uh, up in Albany that if you um, are overweight. You step on the scale and then you lean forward. That'll make you a little lighter. Right. Well, the, the same thing. Uh, um, it's the same thing if you want to be heavier in, in that you lean backwards right. if you want to be a little heavier. So I remember that trick while I'm standing on the scale and watching the numbers just just roll around 95 because I would have had to go. I would have had to do what you did. Right. <laughs> you know, in your first meet, go go eat pizza, go eat bagels to try to to try to gain weight and I really didn't want to. So I remember I just leaned back a little bit and I saw the, I saw the number go to like 96.02 or something. And I jumped off the scale um, and I weighed in just barely into my weight class. 
Uh, <laughs> I have to remember that. It's good to know those tricks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, um, <clears throat> having trained at the Belleville Barbell Club myself for many years, Okay. I know what the conditions were like, especially in the summer, <laughs> the unbearable heat. But unfortunately, by the time I started training there, a lot of the top lifters were either retired or yep. they were nearing the end of their career. Yep. So tell, uh, tell us what it was like training with all these elite lifters and guys that were making the Olympic team. It was one of the best experiences of my life. I re I still remember the very first day I stepped into Belleville, um, and uh, the the gym was just this one long corridor, maybe thirty feet wide, if that, and the roof was at an angle. And all I saw from end to end were all these weightlifters, uh, you know, throwing three, four hundred pounds over their head you know, squatting four or 500 pounds. And it was just mind blowing because, because I was just some kid, you know, I think my best squat at the time might've been in the mid two someplace. And, and to, to look at these guys lifting was just so inspiring. It was, um, uh, it, it was moving to an elite level, uh, over, like in an instant. Right. Uh, there, there were, Four guys there who ultimately made the Olympic team. Uh, well, Phil, Phil Rapaldi was one of them. He, Phil had made the team uh, three times. Uh, there were Brian, Brian Derwin, who uh, ultimately became my training partner in 80, 1881. Um, Bob Giordano was there. Jerry Hannon. Uh, Mitch was there. Uh, and it was just um, such an incredible experience being around those guys. Being around those guys, one of the things that about being around lifters like that is that it elevated your game. I mean, you wanted to be like they were and just, just watching them lift, I think helped you uh, be a more competitive and, and better weightlifter. It was really a fantastic experience. Right. Well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more, even though, like I say, by the time I got there, a lot of the lifters were gone, but, you yeah. were still there. Brian was still yeah. there. Uh, Bucky yeah. was there coaching. And yeah. uh, it was just, uh, I have such fond memories of lifting there. <laughs> like you said, it yeah. made you want to, made you want to do better. Yep. Yeah. And you, you just almost automatically learned by watching your other lifters. Um, you know, training with Brian for two years uh, really helped elevate my game. You know, watching Phil and, and Hannon and, and these guys uh, uh, really uh, uh, carried over to my own training as well. Right. And the conditions, uh, you want to talk about an <laughs> old school gym. This was, this was a hardcore, old. this was no health spa or fancy no. gym. This was unbearable heat in the summertime. No windows. No. Yep. <laughs> All we had yep. was the overhead fan, and uh, it blew the hot air around. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I wouldn't. I'm not even sure I would describe it as an old school gym. Old school gym has 
gyms have windows and, uh, <clears throat> you know, we had, um, we had one source of water, which was the sink. <laughs> <laughs> the bathroom was upstairs. Yeah. Um, and it, like you said, it was just the heat. It was just unbearable. But when you're a kid, you know, we were 19, 20 years old. When you're a kid, you don't notice these things. And if you remember, I mean, um, we used to train in sweats. Yeah. And not uh, not shorts or anything like that. Training in shorts actually never occurred to me until later, uh, you know, well, well after I retired. But we used to train in sweats. I used to have to bring two two sets of clothing just to get through your workout. It was so hot in there. Right. <laughs> well, I think the, um, you brought up the sweats. I think the main reason we didn't wear shorts is because a lot of those bars at that time had very thick knurling and it would just rip up your thighs if uh, yeah you know and we didn't want to use the baby powder because then it made the platform slippery right and then we right. would, uh, you know we would uh keep the bar cut at that time the technique was brush the you know keep the bar sure. up against the thighs and we would after uh maybe a month your brand new sweatpants would have holes in them and we would have to yeah, get stretches yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they, we went through a lot of uh, a lot of sweatpants. That's for sure. So, what other? Uh, so, you spoke about your first contest. Then, uh, what was your? Uh, what other contests do you have uh, memories of that, that stand out to me? Um, let's see. Uh, after that, I, I, I remember I went to uh, New York, uh, lost battalion for a meet. Uh, and then to Albany. Uh, and for whatever reason, I, I always had a good meet up in Albany. I remember I went uh, this one. I, I went five for six, I think. Uh, and it was the first time I cleaned and jerked over 300 in a meet. Um, uh, probably my best meet stands out the most. And that was a couple years later. That was at the uh, McBurney Y uh, in uh, Manhattan. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I always lifted well there. In fact, in fact, that was my second meet. Um, and uh, when I was a kid, uh, I lifted. I only lifted there uh, three times. And my second meet was at McBurney, and I actually won it, uh, which was kind of exciting for for my second meet. I did two hundred three and two eighty six. I'll never forget it. Um, and I won it on the last lift. So that was that was kind of neat. And then years later. Uh, that was 78. So three years later, I was there. I was a better lifter you know, uh, at that point. And I did my best snatch there. I did 297, went three for three. I did 275, 286, 297, and felt good for more. Um, and then uh, I did 363, 374, and a clean and jerk and kind of petered out. And then uh, uh, I remember I followed myself and tried 380, and that wasn't going to doesn't wasn't going to work that day, but but nevertheless, five for six, <clears throat> it was a lot of fun. Brian was there uh, coaching me through that day, uh, so it was a, it was a very gratifying, fun day. And after that after that meet, I was selected uh, for the Region One versus Canada meet, which was in <clears throat> towards the end of uh, 1981. I think it was December of 81 up in Montreal. And how did that meet go? 
it went well. I went, uh, let me think, I went four for four for five. I was, I, I do remember I was exhausted from the trip um, and, the, and the accommodations weren't great. So I was kind of tired by the, by the meat. And, and one of the things that was interesting that I figured out much later was the, the you know, there, there's that ring at the end of the bar where you kind of, uh, um, use as a guide to where, where you put your hands for the snatch. Well, this bar was, the, the ring on this bar was several inches closer, and I didn't realize it at the time. So, um, you know, I didn't have a collar-to-collar grip, which, which would have made it a lot easier. I was uh, maybe an inch outside the ring, and so what wound up happening is I wound up close grip snatching uh, that, <laughs> that day. Uh, <laughs> And I still managed uh, 286, and uh, I did 374, and uh, and, I, and I topped out at 374 that day. Um, so, uh, but that was a lot of fun. It was an interesting uh, uh, meet. Uh, they were they were grooming kind of the second tier of weightlifters. Uh, at that point, it was the selection process was the best weightlifter in each category who hadn't traveled internationally yet. Uh, so they were kind of grooming a bunch of us to, to get to the next level. And I thought it was a really, really good idea. Okay. So, um, then after that, you, you, uh, had, uh, a knee injury that kind of curtailed your career. Yeah, I, I had knee problems throughout my career. Uh, and I really think it's just a matter of, uh, overtraining. I mean, it was, it was a tendonitis issue, um, and tendonitis, as most everyone knows, is an overuse injury. And just beating it up, wearing the shoes we wore, which had the heel, uh, which put more pressure on your knees when you squatted and, uh, and, and did the other uh, exercises associated with uh, Olympic lifting. And it just wore them out. And uh, I just had to <clears throat> take a break. I wound up having surgery in 83, I think it was. Um, and then, and the knee started coming back. And then what happened uh, in 84, I think, uh, yeah, it was 84, 85, I, um, partially tore up my patella tendon. And even though my squats and my lifting was coming along pretty well at that point, I was coming back from surgery. My best squats at the time was 500 for five reps. So the legs were really coming along. And, um, then I got injured and that was the end of it. Right. So end of any hope for, you know, any kind of international team or what have you. So uh, it was which, great. It was a great experience. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's all good. You know, right. I think if I had trained a little differently when I was at Belleville, uh, might've been a little bit, uh, a little, a little better. I think I should have trained probably three days as opposed to four. Yeah. Give my knees an extra rest, but uh, you know, you live and learn. When you're 20 years old, all you want to do is go, go to the gym. Yeah. Well, um, I think a lot of us have a similar experience. Uh, when I look back at my Olympic lifting years, my uh-huh. biggest regret is overtraining. I had the same thing, you know. I developed mm-hmm. that really bad tendonitis, and uh, I, w- I was, like you say, I was young at the time. I was stubborn. I wouldn't admit that I was overtraining. Yep. At the time, the thinking at that time was that the more training, the better. And uh, that's not always the case. And no, uh, rest is just as important as your time in the gym. 
<clears throat> you know, uh, and, but, the, but like you said, it's something we didn't realize back then, you know, the philosophy was, you know, one's good, two is, two is better, and three has to be even better than that. So we just kept piling it on and piling it on, not realizing that eventually you'd plateau and get injured. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yep, exactly. So when I train people now, I emphasize uh, rest <clears throat> and the benefits of it and what you do while you're resting, stretch out, massage, uh, those kinds of things. Right. Icing if you have to. So you 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 uh, did you did uh, <clears throat> quite a bit of coaching. Uh, tell us about your uh, coaching. Yeah, uh, I I got into coaching uh, probably fifteen years ago, and it was almost by accident. Uh, a couple of people would, you know saw me doing some of the lifts in the gym and asked for help and so on, and then I started coaching at. Um, a CrossFit gym and just kind of teaching the class. And uh, initially I would have a lot of people and, uh, um, you know, walking them through the lifts and eventually the class wound down to just a couple people. And what I found was uh, that the girls who were interested in weightlifting were, were far better students than the guys because guys came in a lot of times with their ego and, you know, they lead with their egos thinking they, they, they already know how to lift and, right. you know, uh, you're not going to break me down and I'm, and, and I'm just, I'm just going to lift the bar kind of like you and I were taught when we were kids. Yeah. Um, but that's the way I would train. And I remember I had two girls at this one gym that stuck with me for a year and they were fantastic. They did, they wanted to learn it from the start or they they had no ego as far as that goes, and both one especially was an experienced lifter, and I and I took her from start to finish, uh, and she she is one of my biggest regrets in terms of the fact that she never pursued weightlifting because you know she was one of the best athletes I had ever seen. She was built perfectly for Olympic lifting. She was. I told her. I pulled her aside one day, had a little conversation with her, and she knew my my background. <clears throat> excuse me, at Belleville with the with the guys who made the team and so on. And I told her that she was a better athlete than every single one of those guys. Uh, she had all the levers, she had quickness, flexibility, the strength. And I said, if you dedicate yourself to this, you could make. Then at the very least, you can make the nationals. Right. And then, uh, you know, international teams would not be out of the realm of possibility, including the Olympic team. Um, uh, she was that good. But, uh, you know, there's one factor that is overlooked, I think, sometimes when, uh, uh, you know, when we're looking at the uh, athletes and that's their competitive mindset. That's their, we, we used to call it a head. Brian, for example, Brian Derwin had a, had an incredible uh, weightlifting head in that uh, he would get to a meet and he would generally generally uh, outperform his training lifts. I remember in the 80 nationals, his best lift before that in the cleaning jerk was 430. Well, he wound up doing 457 that day. Right. Okay. He put 27 pounds on his cleaning jerk in a single meet. And that's the kind of head you need, the competitive mindset you need to be a successful lifter. Well, Circling back to this one young lady, she didn't have that. 
she was kind of afraid of competition. I was trying to kind of encourage her just to go to a meet, just to watch. And she just wouldn't do it. And, and uh, it was a shame because she really could have been successful. But the point is, with the two girls, they were terrific students. Uh, and another girl, uh, uh, the, other, the other young lady I was training, worked really, really hard. All she wanted to do was be a weightlifter. Uh, she wasn't a particularly good athlete, but she overcame a lot of that uh, with her determination. I trained her twice a week. Um, Eventually took her to a meet, uh, and she went five for six, and she set a personal record, <clears throat> and she won her weight class. I mean, she couldn't have been more thrilled. And I remember watching her lift, kind of like we used to do at the meets. We used to watch each other lift from the side. Right. And I remember watching her from the side, and all her lifts were perfectly straight. She did such a great job. And the one of the most interesting aspects of her was that she had MS. Wow. Um, and uh, if she didn't have that uh, affliction, I think she could have, she could have gone a lot further. And um, unfortunately that, that really restricted her training during, during the 12 months I was with her. Um, she had to stop for a couple of weeks here and a couple of weeks there because her ankles were hurting her wrists were hurting or whatever. Part of that, I think, was because of the lifting, but the MS was kicking in also. So she wasn't able to dedicate herself and, uh, you know, she had a rest. So yeah. she lost uh, some valuable time. But if she didn't have that affliction, I think she would have been a, a decent lifter. I didn't think she could have. She would have been um, international material, but I think she, she could have made the um, – she could have competed at a national level. Right. Okay, so then after you you did some uh, master's competitions. Yep. Uh, it was interesting, Mark. Um, in the interim now, from, from coaching those, uh, those kids to, to now, um, back in 2015, I was, I was still, you know, still interested in lifting and squatting and what have you. I ruptured both quadricep tendons in 2015. Uh, they both snapped as I was, uh, as I was squatting, <clears throat> excuse me. I had to be, uh, ambulanced out of the gym, uh, taken out on a gurney and I spent uh, 11 days in the hospital, had surgery, uh, lost, uh, 15 pounds and uh, went through rehab and, uh, you know, it was quite a shock not to have legs, especially, you know, after being a competitive lifter all this time, uh, you know, the, we both learned that the most important aspect of, of our physical well-being was your legs. That's where all your power comes from. And I didn't have legs at that point. Um, so it was a long, long road back. But rehab uh, was very good. I, I was fortunate because I had been in, you know, reasonably good condition prior to the injury. So my comeback was a little easier the thing about it, you know, knock on wood, and I'm very thankful, uh, and I thank God for this, is that I've had no knee pain since my injury, and I've been able to do the lifts. I've been able to um, get my squats over well over the 400 level. Um, a couple of years ago, I squatted uh, 440 for a single, wow. which I never, ever thought I'd be able to touch again. Um, so, so getting back to your question, um, I was able to train – uh, uh, pr pretty hard for a while. I had one thing I did learn, 
uh, with this injury was patience, believe it or not. That, that took a, it was a long time coming, but as far as training goes, I started to learn how to, how to train myself. Um, and, uh, about a year and a half before the meet, I injured my hamstring. Um, just, it was a little out of position, squatting heavy. And that's been actually a persistent injury. It's, they're still, I injured, I injured uh, my right one and then overcompensated and injured my left one. And they're still a little tender, but the legs are starting to come back. So while I was training for the master nationals, I really didn't have a chance to heal properly, uh, give myself time to rest because I had to get a qualifying meet. I had never gone to the uh, nationals before. So, you know, I had to stretch every day, do the icing routine, try to squat, try to do the lifts and all the while trying to heal. And, you know, at 60 years old, 64 years old, it was, it's, a, it's kind of a, kind of a long road to hoe and, um, but made it through the, uh, qualifying meet that was uh, this past January, the, the, uh, uh, competition. The Nationals was a local meet to me, which is why I wanted to go. Um, that was right in March. And I, and I did okay. Um, uh, I did 154 in a snatch and 198 in a cleaning jerk. And, um, you know, that was, uh, that was more than enough to win. Uh, so that was kind of a fun meet. Uh, and um, since then, I haven't really done much Olympic lifting wise. I've just tried to heal my legs. Uh, my squats are getting into the mid threes again. And, uh, once they, once I, um, uh, do the, do rest with the, you know, the 385s, 400 level, uh, which I expect to do the first quarter of next year, um, I may start competing again. We'll see. I want to get my legs back into shape. Right. Now, during, during your years of uh, all the years of during your training, especially in your, you know, your younger years, what were some of your best uh, training lifts as far as, you know, front squats, back squats, maybe a uh, uh, split jerks from the rack? Okay. Um, my best fronts uh, was uh, I did 405 for a double. Um, my best overhead uh, was 405. Uh, and I, I did that pretty regularly. Uh, so, uh, I do remember one time in the gym, I locked out four and a quarter, but just couldn't squeeze myself underneath it. Uh, so 405 wound up being my best. My best back squat uh, was 500 for five reps and 515 for a triple. Uh, I did that after uh, surgery, after I retired from Belleville and was kind of training on my own. Um, let me think of what other I did. Uh, I do remember snatching. Uh, 285 from the from the uh, low blocks. Right. Uh, uh, that was a fun day. I, I remember that like it was yesterday. Uh, best best clean. My best cleaning jerk was 391, and I did that in the gym. And the, and my best snatch was 297. I did that as I said earlier at the McBurney meet in uh, 81. I think that was pretty sure that was 81. So. Okay, those are some big lifts. Now <clears throat> I have. In front of me, your book. Uh, you wrote this okay. Uh, okay. maybe about seven years ago. Uh, Weight training yeah. for old guys is the title. That's the one. Tell us about your book. <laughs> well, ever since I was a kid and I got into weightlifting, I always uh, knew I was going to write a book about it, and I wanted to uh, kind of write down the experiences that, that I had and 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 pass 
passed the experiences and the technical training that I had on to others. And one of the things I wanted to, uh, I wanted this book to be was different from the other books in that I wanted it to provide a significant amount of technical advice instead of just saying, Hey, go do, go squat, do three sets of 10. I wanted to explain how that lift worked. Right. Uh, same with the bench press and the other and the military press and so on. I wanted to emphasize technique because if you remember back in the day, uh, our, our training rule, if you will, was technique first, strength second, body weight third, in that meaning that we had to learn technique first. That's right. Before you could pile on any kind of weight, we had to learn the lift. This is why we all started with a broomstick. For That's today. right. Uh, so I wanted to convey that in the book. And I also wanted to um, make it a little fun. I have some uh, anecdotes in there uh, from lifting back in the day. Uh, there's one important section in there about uh, spotting. Because uh, one of the things that people don't know how to do, it's to me, it's terrifying in the gym, is that people don't know how to, don't know how to spot. Uh-huh. Don't know how to spot somebody to bench. Don't know how to spot somebody to clean uh, to to do the back squats when they're back squatting. I mean, so one of the I have a, a, a short section in there about how to spot. In fact, I have a picture of me uh, squatting heavy, and the coach and one of the guys uh, there is uh, is spotting me. Right. And so and. and and um, it's so critical. Uh, the sa- safety in the gym is so critical. And I think learning how to spot uh, is, um, is is a very important aspect of training. Well, I, I, I agreed with so much of what you wrote in the book that you inspired me to write my own book. And uh, I'm glad. <laughs> one of the... Uh, one of the things you just mentioned drives me crazy too, the spotting... Uh, I never could really grasp the idea of someone someone doing a tremendous amount of uh, weight on a squat. So you know some of these powerlifters, you know they're doing seven eight hundred pound squats. And yes, this, and they have a guy standing behind them. And now what's going to happen? <laughs> what is that guy behind you supposed to do? If you, get, exactly. if you get stuck, he's going to grab 800 pounds off your back. But what if you lose your balance? And what if he? What if while you're squatting at an enormous weight, the lifter gets injured? Right. And now can't or pulls a muscle or something, and now can't lift that weight. Exactly. Okay. What do you exactly? What are you supposed to do? Grab the 800 pounds? I mean, it's. I remember once spotting Brian. Uh, uh, this was before I think, I think it was before 81, or I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, he was, the set was going to be 455 for 10 reps. Right. And I was on one side, another, another one of, uh, uh, the lifters one was on the other side and we, and we clasped, clasped our, our fingers together, um, and followed the bar up and followed the bar down. And, uh, as I said, the, the set was supposed to be 10 reps. He made nine and a half. Right. Okay. He started up on the, on the 10th rep, couldn't make it. That was just routine, man. We just we just grabbed the bar, helped them up, put it on the rack. Another day at the office, right. okay. Um, whereas if we had one guy behind him, I can't imagine with it. We never even considered squatting. Uh, excuse me, spotting from behind. Um, so it's 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 such a simple thing, 
but most people don't know how to do it. Even in competitions, they don't know how to do it. They're right. I'm horrified at some of the things they see in competition. Oh yeah. Uh, oh. Now, oh. do you do you still uh, do you still follow Olympic weightlifting as far as far as being a fan, watching it and. I'm a fan of it, certainly, and I'll never lose that. I really haven't stayed um, up to up to speed, if you will, with the current weightlifters. I mean, they've they've changed the weight classes, I think, two or three times since we were lifting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, it was it was hard for me to to, to kind of really get that interested in it. Um, you know, and, and and our lifters, you know, the Vardanians, the Regerts, uh, the Zlatevs of the world. You know, all, all started to retire, and and after that, I kind of I wouldn't say I lost interest in it, in it, but I would say that um, you know other things took priority, and and kind of lost touch with with the uh, with following it as much as I did. Um, there was a publication called International Olympic Lifter, uh, and that that kind of went out of business in the I think it was the mid eighties, um, and I was a subscriber to that and and uh and once that happened it was really i really kind of fell out of it in terms of really following it the way i used to right i find it much more difficult to follow because like you said they keep changing the weight classes yeah now the countries are all you know since the uh the soviet bloc whatever you want since that collapsed all the countries have split up and you don't know who's lifting for what country and Countries you never even heard of before, and so yep. it it makes yep. it a little more difficult to follow. But my son got me uh, up to speed on it a little bit because he watches the uh, there's a, a program they have called Weightlifting House, uh, and is yes yeah, okay they're pretty informative. Uh, they they keep you up to okay. date on what's going on. Uh, yeah. So uh, okay. now. Other than uh, weightlifting, what are some of your? I I I think you have. Um, I I guess you could call it a hobby, which I thought was pretty interesting, uh, kind of unique. You're you're uh, pretty uh, fascinated with turtles, from what I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Mark, I, I, I ever since I was a kid, I. Uh, I was a fan of uh, dinosaurs, you know, and actually still am. And um, uh, turtles were probably the uh, the closest thing, and they reminded me of uh, remind me of of dinosaurs. So I've I've gotten over the years. I had a tremendous interest in them. At one point, oh gosh, I think I had maybe fifteen or twenty of them. Um, and and since then, some of some have died, and, and I've let a number of them go. Uh, and I'm actually just down to one. Uh, I, I've had this this guy probably 20, 25 years at this point. Um, and he's, he's you know, knock on wood, he's still chugging along. He's uh, he's hanging in there. Um, so, yeah, uh, turtles have always been a fascination for me. And any, any other uh, hobbies that you're involved in? Yeah, uh, probably one, one of the most important uh, things to me uh, I've always been a um, a reader of uh, World War II, uh-huh. and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, and I've been fascinated with the topic for probably 40, 45 years. And 
read you know a number of books on it. Uh, and over the last maybe five, ten years, I've been more interested in anecdotal uh, episodes in the war. You know, this tank platoon or this soldier's experience and so on. And I came across a story on Facebook of all places about a woman who had uh, saved, helped save over 2,000 children from the Nazi Holocaust. She was in Warsaw. And um, long story short, uh, I got interested in that story, read a couple books about it, and decided that I really wanted to tell her story. She, she's been referred to as the female Dr. Schindler. Everybody's heard of Schindler, Dr. You know, Schindler, Schindler's yeah. List. But very few people have heard of Irina Sendler. Uh, and she saved far more, far, far more people than uh, Schindler ever had. And uh, she, she did it hands-on. I mean, she went right into the Warsaw Ghetto and smuggled children out um, in, in a number of different ways. Uh, and, and she was a young lady at the time. She was in her early 30s when she, when she took on the Nazi uh, regime, her and a number of her uh, collaborators. <clears throat> so I decided... Uh, a couple things. I, I wanted to set, establish an Arena Center Day in Pennsylvania, which I did in 2018. Uh, and that was just for one day. It was just February 15th of 2018. But I had to petition the um, a Harrisburg legislature to make that happen. Um, I have a, a, my, my ex-township, place I used to live, uh, was nice enough to let me set up a memorial to her. So I have a, uh, there's a plaque there. Uh, with uh, with with her image and a description of what she had done, uh, mounted on a on a large stone in this um, in this park, and that was all very well. Uh, but I wanted to come up with a mechanism where I could tell the story a little bit more proactively. So my son was in theater, and I said, you know, I think I'll just write a play about it. Uh, so I decided to write a play in 2018. I decided to write a play about her, and it took. Five years, a lot of prayers and a lot of research and dozens and dozens of articles. Uh, and um, finally got the play to where it was ready for the stage. And this past year, I uh, decided to produce it. Uh, we, we were moving along. It was going to be shown actually last month. Uh, but we had some technical issues in the <clears throat> with the crew that really couldn't be overcome. Uh, uh, the, the, the play is is quite demanding from a technical standpoint, uh, from lighting and sound and so on. Uh, and the crew really couldn't figure out how to overcome it. So we had to postpone it and we're going to do it next year instead. Okay. Uh, so so it's it's still it's still uh, certainly something that's going to happen. It's just going to take a little longer than I had hoped. Uh, but nevertheless, um, it's it's a it's a fascinating story. And. Uh, I'm really looking forward to telling it. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, I just wanted to backtrack a little bit. One more uh, final topic, because I uh, didn't really touch on it as much as I would have liked. Uh, you mentioned, uh, like, when I first came to Belleville, and you first came to Belleville, which was before me, uh, you mentioned yeah. the uh, the broomstick, and... That's the story I always like to tell because when I first got there, I knew a little bit uh, about the clean and jerk. I was doing clean and jerks down my basement. I didn't know okay, anything about you. the snatch at all. Yep. I didn't know how to snatch. And uh, so when I got to Belleville, Bucky, the coach, handed me a broomstick and said, 
this is what you'll be using to learn how to lift. And I yeah. tried to explain to him, no, I know how to do the clean jerk. Oh, no, you don't. probably the worst thing you could have said. <laughs> he said, oh, no, you don't. That's right. And he, I, he had me using that broomstick for about a month. I mean, he let yep. me, you know, he let me do squats and all that because yep. I knew how to do yep. that. But uh, he said, no, you're not doing any weight on the Olympic <laughs> lifts. You'll be using this broomstick. Indeed you weren't. That's right. Until you learn the technique. Um, <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, like you said earlier, you know, technique first, strength second. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, the broomstick. I, I remember teaching uh, teaching the girls this. And, um, uh the one girl who had the MS took, took a break and she, and she started to come back maybe a year later. And I said to her, I said, I said, Kate, we got to get on the broomstick again. Um, and, and I, and she, she was, um, I was teaching her uh, leg press. I was teaching her squats again and so on. And I said, Kate, do you remember when we first started, how you were trained? And she turned to me and said, yeah, you had me train on the broomstick for a month. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, right. I said, but how did it wind up? Yeah. And she said, yeah, very, very, she said, yeah, it wound up, it wound up great because, you know, you can't learn it trying to, trying to actually lift weights. Right. You cannot learn it that way. Or, or, or I shouldn't say you can't learn it. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. To learn it, uh, in, in, in fact, one of the one of the things I started to do with the with these uh, with these lifters <clears throat> um, was different from what I learned, and probably from what you learned or how you learned it. I mean, is that I took them from the blocks down to the floor. Right. So I started them at the medium blocks where the weight was just below the knee, and had them just come up, come up, come up, come up, and then she taught them the second pull when they when they mastered. You know the, the the that aspect of the lift. I lowered it down a little bit to the lower blocks. Right. Had them lift for a couple months from the lows, and then then finally we went down to the floor. So that transition from medium to low to the floor was a lot easier uh, from a learning standpoint than trying to learn it straight from the floor because there are so many moving parts, if you will, so many things that are happening in sequence from the floor up. That's very, very difficult uh, to learn the lift when you have to do the entire lift from from scratch. That's right. Absolutely. The one thing I remember uh, you that you um, one of the advice that you gave me when I first started lifting, and I must have heard these four words about a hundred <laughs> about a hundred times every night was shoulders okay. over the bar. Shoulders over the bar. Yep. 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 That's that's the hardest thing for people to uh, to maintain because um, the natural inclination is to pull back. Right. Is to stand up straight because when you when you get out of your chair, you just straighten up. Right. Okay. So you're just you're the natural movement is for your shoulders to come back. Well, for Olympic lifting. Uh, that's a different matter. Your shoulders have to stay in the same plane until a certain point, and that's when you shift and and finish the pull. Um, uh, and one of the things Brian had uh, explained to me 
when I was lifting for maybe a year or so, when I was starting to uh, to just come, I don't know if the word would be complain, but to say, gee, just to observe that this is really doesn't feel right. You know, you know, my wrists have to be here, my elbows have to be there, and my my chest has to be here, my head, everything was just seemed so out of place. And I said that to him, and and, and I said, Brian, I feel like a contortionist. I, I, this is crazy. And he said to me, I'll never forget. He said, weightlifting is not comfortable. Yeah, that's true. And and, and especially at first, because you know everything's going to feel out of place. It's going to feel a little wacky. But it gets comfortable once you learn it. Right. And once you learn it, it makes complete sense. But you have to have the patience and give yourself the time to learn uh, these movements properly. That's that's why we start with the broomstick. That's right. So for any youngsters out there that are interested in Olympic weightlifting, patience is a key. And Absolutely. Uh, your book, okay, so for any any older guys that still want to uh, keep lifting weights or think you're too old to lift weights, we have Tim's book. Uh, is this this is still on uh, Amazon, Tim? Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Yes, The is. name of the book is Weight Training for Old Guys, and the subtitle is Good Advice for the Rest of Us. And that's uh, – you can find that on Amazon – and that's by uh, Timothy Kesa. So it was great you, having man. you on the show, Tim. Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you very much. It was a, a good to talk to you again after all these years. You, so yep. all the best right. to you. And Same here. Keep, keep training. And we hope to see you in the competition again real soon. We probably will. Thanks. Thanks again, Mark. And uh, God bless and uh, appreciate your time today. Thank you. God bless. Bye. Thank you. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.